As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. College Football, the world's most ethical college football podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Paul. I'm going to lead off by uh, apologizing um, for last week. A um, few scheduling difficulties that uh, a lot of us just kind of weren't aware of and just weren't able to record last week. But we're back for now, uh, and we're happy to have you back. As always, hosted uh, by Spotify Greenroom as part of the Sports Drink family. Um, tomorrow, which I guess you'll be hearing this today on September 1st, sportsdrink.org is officially going live. So make sure you check sportsdrink.org out. Uh, a lot of really talented people worked very, very hard on the website. Uh, Ross, what's going on, man? How are you doing, baby? Man, you know, I, I can't really complain. You know, it's a Tuesday night. So, of course, we're we're on our banjo kick, as we do. Well, I mean, it's just a Tuesday night. You got to be on Green Room. It's the only place to be, right? The only place to be on Green is on Green Room on Tuesdays. Um, my my other favorite Green Room show is also on Tuesdays uh, at six p.m. Central um, with Jason Kirk and Alex Kirshner, uh, two friends of the pod, and also part of the Sports Drink Crime Family. Part of so, the um, Tuesday Night Green Room Nation. Yeah, we're so happy to have them. Uh, so before we really get started with everything, obviously, on a slightly more serious note, uh, we do want to send our very, very best to uh, everyone in South Louisiana and surrounding areas uh, that were affected uh, by Hurricane Ida. Um, as for me, my family is okay. Um, Andrew, the kind of founder of this whole enterprise, is doing well, as is his family. Uh, but a lot of people out there are really, really hurting and struggling and uh, it will take a while for a lot of people to get back on their feet. So uh, if you go to our Twitter account, at Banjo underscore CFB, we've been boosting a few different mutual aid funds um, and really anything that helps. Um, we just ask that you don't donate to the Red Cross. I feel like if you're listening to Banjo CFB, you're smart enough to know that. But just in case, um, Red Cross is very problematic for a number of reasons. Um, so I prefer that money go directly to the people um, 
uh, just a few to start out. Imagine Waterworks is doing some hurricane relief. Um, Trans Queer Youth of NOLA. Um, the New Orleans Women and Children's Shelter. Uh, lots more that uh, we haven't been able to get to just yet, but um, really anything helps um, the people down there. Yeah, and I know uh, I'm the one of the few non-Louisiana natives on this podcast, but New Orleans and the whole state of Louisiana is just a truly magical place um, that I found. You know, I was lucky enough to visit a couple of times in college and have found myself going back to with uh, a lot of frequency compared to almost anywhere else in the country. Um, it's just a such an amazing place. Um, you know, I remember when I went into my first LSU tailgate, it was some one of the warmest receptions I've ever had. Um, and it's just, it's a beautiful state that needs a lot of help. Um, so guys find a local organization, give some money. They need it. Um, and if you know anyone personally, or you see online who has some takes about how Louisiana is bad and people shouldn't live there because of hurricanes or, you know, uh, they deserved a hurricane because the state voted for Trump or anything like that. Block that person. If you know them in real life, punch them in the face. Um, we don't deal with that. Those people are, are stupid. Uh, Louisiana is a wonderful place and they need our help. Uh, big agree. Big agree. Um, and I know I'm a little biased, but yeah, Ross is right. If you know someone like that in real life, punch them in the face. And if you only know them from online, block them on all forms of social media. Um, those aren't good people. Uh, and they never have been. Um, as Andrew put on Twitter recently, New Orleans is one of the like four or five cities in the actual country with real culture um, and an actual personality. Um, it's probably New York, Miami, San Francisco, New Orleans, and that, that might be it. Um, <laughs> I would have put Austin on that list 20 years ago, but no, um, Silicon Valley owns Austin now. So, um, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's a beautiful town. Um, and if you've only ever been there for Bourbon Street, I don't blame you. Um, but there is more to the city, even though Bourbon Street is amazing. And that is actually, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to just go down there. I was actually in New Orleans last weekend. Um, with some friends celebrating uh, my friend getting married. And, uh, you know, this we planned it for a while ago. We knew that's always where we wanted to go. The storm came down, um, and we had to evacuate. But uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's, uh, it's a truly magical place. And uh, I'm so far thankful to hear that a lot of the infrastructure in place that is made to prevent this from being any worse when a storm like this hits seems to have mostly held up. Um, obviously it's still too early to tell, but, um, I think we're just, we're just thankful that so far, uh, it seems like a lot of people are out of power, but, um, things seem to be like they could have gone a lot worse, but obviously again, still too early to tell. Yep. Yep. So, um, on a slightly lighter note, um, I'm not sure how much, you know, the general public, especially the banjo CFB population keeps up with high school football. But uh, Ross, were you aware that there was a game on Sunday? Uh, yeah, I believe uh, two of our nation's foremost uh, high school academic football institutions played a game uh, on national TV, right? 
this is correct. Um, just really two titans of the sport. Um, IMG Academy, which is headquartered down in Bradenton, Florida, and is I want to be very clear here. Over the years when we've called IMG a fake school, we're, we're very aware that that's tongue-in-cheek. It is a real school. It is accredited. Um, those degrees count. And they get kids qualified to play Division One. legally a school. They get kids qualified to play um, NCAA athletics um, in more than one sport. Um, they do have a basketball team, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, they do have other sports as well. But obviously football is the most visible one. We call them a fake school, but that's... Most people who are familiar with recruiting in college athletics will see IMG Academy up and down the top 10, top 100 rankings um, as they, you know, recruit and uh, play home to numbers of top recruits every year in order to get them the best training and qualified to play high-level NCAA sports every year, even if they are... Mostly, I think. Yeah, and um, and then there was the other school, uh, Bishop. I, I'm not even sure what they call themselves. Is it Bishop Sycamore Academy? Is it Bishop Sycamore High School Institute? What I, I, I'm, I'm kind of at a loss uh, here at what to call Bishop Sycamore, but I can't call them real. Um, <laughs> it's Sycamore Institute of Technology. Sure. Yeah. Um, it so from what I understand, um, whenever ESPN um, they when they have these showcase games, especially you know between high schools, they really contract out the booking of these games to another business. And apparently, this business did not do their due diligence, and nor did ESPN afterwards. Um, Bishop Sycamore basically said that they had uh, multiple kids who were Division One prospects. Um, I don't know how they got IMG to agree to this. Um, it was a game in it was a game in Ohio, um, in Canton, Ohio. And Ross, I'm shocked you haven't heard of Bishop Sycamore being a former Columbus resident yourself. Well, Bishop um, but, Sycamore is the the pride of Central Ohio, as everyone knows. It, it is, yeah, absolutely in Columbus, Ohio, where I definitely lived, and uh, everyone knows about it. And uh, it's really it's probably the premier football school in Columbus. There's mm. not really anywhere else in the town at any level. Cause you know, unfortunately the, their only professional team is the Columbus blue jackets um, and the Columbus Clippers, which is a minor league ho- uh, baseball team. So yeah, when it comes to football, Bishop Sycamore is really the, the cream of the crop in Columbus, Ohio. Well, first of all, that's disrespectful to the crew and I'm not going to let you disrespect the crew like that again. Um, but that was incredibly disrespectful to the crew whose games I have attended and are very fun. And I very much apologize. Although keep the old brand. But basically, this school is um, – imagine you, the average listener to a podcast who you know, obviously knows about football and hopefully has had some sort of experience you know, planning an event, even if it's just like a kid's birthday party. Just imagine putting together a high school football game, and this is kind of what it would look like if you tried to do that. Um, they did not have their own trainers. They the roster they submitted to ESPN uh, just was incomplete and also incorrect in a lot of spots. Um, this team had mismatched uniforms and helmets. Um, they looked like they had never played a high school football game, which is apparently the one thing that like 
I was wrong about. They've played games in the past against you know other teams in the past. Can't say they were successful, but this has happened. They they played a game <laughs> against another team two days before they were on national TV against IMG Academy. Yes, yes, and it's really hard to fathom that this got past. Um, the original company, sure, they probably didn't bet this too much. They probably just saw IMG and knew that they'd get uh, eyeballs on television. But it's hard to say that this got past the mouse. I mean, the, the things that the Walt Disney Company has done to protect, to protect every last red cent in their coffers is really, it's, it's kind of impressive in a way that's startlingly evil. But the fact that they just slipped under all their noses. And then that they allowed the game to continue. Uh, they proposed a running clock once the score got to 30 to zero, but Bishop Sycamore declined it. Um, their coach went on national TV with an active arrest warrant. Um, former coach, I should say he resigned this morning. Uh, it's, it really I, is I, just all he up. resigned or was he fired? <laughs> I'm not sure what he it, he may have been My fired. My understanding but, is that he was fired, but he went to what he was the coach of a fake school that didn't actually have any infrastructure. So I don't know who had the authority to fire him, unless fire, it was himself. He, in which case, he did resign. Did Maybe if write, you fire yourself, then you get unemployment. Did he write a a very generous severance package into <laughs> into his? Into his contract and then fired oh, absolutely. Himself. I mean, when you when you get fired, you gotta get gotta get a very generous severance. So I would expect uh, an institution of the the credibility and the long standing history of Bishop Sycamore Institute of Technology to uh, honor that when they fire their head football coach. And it's it, it's really wild to me because apparently Bishop Sycamore's quarter quote unquote quarterback is an actual like high school age person. And has at least one offer from Nevada, and I, I am just praying to the football gods that someone gets him to transfer out of there and go to a real football school <laughs> and have like actual exposure, even if it's just so he can have a regular high school experience. Because the the kicker in all of this is that there were like men playing for Bishop Sycamore in that game, like twenty and twenty one year olds against IMG. And just yeah, getting the it, doors blown off of them. It was kind of amazing to see that there were some very clearly not high school. And, like, people age in different ways. So there's definitely people who, um, you know, I remember we've all seen pictures of uh, Ashawn Robinson when he was coming out of high school. He looked like he was 40. And he looked like he was 40 when he was in college. And he still looks like he's 40 now. But he was actually in high school and, you know, played in high school. Um but it was some of these guys, it, like, you really uh, could kind of tell. And I will say, they know it came to light while the game was happening on the air, on ESPN. And you're right, they did allow <laughs> the game to continue, and they had a running, and they denied the running clock. But I will say, once it was on air, after everything else that fell down, I, I wish I could remember who was on the call for ESPN, but they did handle it pretty well in that, the announcers, once this was coming to light, were very upfront and said during the game, you know, it has come to our attention. This is a fake school. ESPN has been duped. We don't know how this happened. But, you know, 
the game is happening, so we're going to keep calling it. But I want you guys to know, those of you who are watching at home who are not yet aware, this is a fake team and this is a fake game. And I, I, I give a lot of respect to them to recognizing that that is what's happening. And, you know, I appreciate them sort of owning it on air as it's happening. Yeah, I mean, once I mean, there's almost nothing you can do as an announcer. It's just like, well, I mean, I, I can't walk off the job site. Um, but I have to be honest to the listeners and, you know, they, I feel like if you are the kind of degenerate that's spending 8 PM on a Sunday watching an obviously fake football game, like finding out that it is actually fake, that's not going to deter you. You know, you're not going to turn it off at that point. And at that point, you know, your sicko kicks in and then you (laughs) just start enjoying it even more. Yeah, it, it really was, you know, it was a weekend of football for sickos, and I think it was a real perfect, you know, capper on that. And that, you know, I didn't even know that the game was happening. I'm not a huge high school football on TV watcher. I know sometimes they put high-level games on. I've, I've watched an All-American game or two. Um, but once this broke and I saw it was happening, that's when I was tempted. That's when I was like, oh, I want to see this. I, this is a train wreck, and now I have to tune in. If it was a regular game between IMG Academy and another high school, I don't think I would have watched. So I hope ESPN got some good ad dollars out of it, you know, through people tuning in once they found out it was fake. I don't know who, how many people turned off the game versus turned it on once it became known what was actually happening. Well, when you get news that IMG is really just taking someone behind the woodshed, you're thinking... Oh, well, yeah, of course. But when you hear, like, oh, it's 23 to nothing at the end of the first quarter, it's just like, oh, this is a snuff film. And I have to, <laughs> and I may have to see what's going on here. And then they find out in the second quarter that it's a fake game, and it's just, it just devolves from there. Yeah, it really was. Um, it just truly was the perfect capper for a weekend that, you know, was also full of a lot of snuff film football. <laughs> Unfortunately, so, man, speaking of sicko football, um, Saturday afternoon and l- listen, there are a lot of ways to begin the college football season, a lot of different permutations in terms of, um, you know, which conferences play conference versus conference week one, um, you know, who has games on week zero, who has week games on week one. All of that, but man, Nebraska at Illinois at 11 a.m. Central to kick off the season, um, it, it really doesn't get any more degenerate than that. And I watched that entire now, game. <laughs> I will say one thing I will insist that you put some respect on, KP, is that that was as horrible and unwatchable as it was, was really the only good game of week zero. Yeah, There were five yeah, games played, four, you know, I think 30-plus point wins. I could, I'm not certain about it. Like, it was four blowouts and Nebraska-Illinois, which from the jump was eminently watchable. And I, I will say, like, I, I am glad that you were able to watch it because I had a whole plan that my Saturday – we talked about this uh, on an episode a couple weeks back about, you know, figuring out how do you tell your non-football degenerate friends that you want to watch Nebraska-Illinois at someone else's bachelor party, and that is what you think would be fun. Luckily, and unluckily, I was saved from having that conversation as I was in a car 
leaving New Orleans, evacuating the city to get to Alabama. So I missed the game and I didn't have to have that conversation. So I was sitting in the back seat of this car, just like refreshing this game on Twitter, just getting increasingly upset that I wasn't watching it live because <laughs> it could not have gone worse and could so, not have been better for our specific audience, who I believe is just as broken as us. So the first points of the college football season, um, I'm going to bring this up for probably the rest of this year. Um, first points of the season were when a Nebraska punt returner backed up and then fielded a punt on its own half yard line. Momentum carried him back, was tackled, or was in the process of being tackled, and in order to prevent the safety, threw the ball forward while he was in the end zone. Um, that's obviously a safe. So the first point of the year came from, you know, a horrible punt return decision leading to an illegal forward lateral from a man's own end zone. The first points of the year, um, 2 nothing Illinois. Nebraska comes back, um, scores in a pretty impressive drive, missed the extra point. Now it's 6-2. to two. Um, Nebraska gets a field goal, and now it's 9-2. It's looking like, you know, a beautiful AL Central uh, late August game. And then Illinois scores 28 consecutive points on the backs of um, a <laughs> power run game and a quarterback who couldn't hack it at Rutgers University. <laughs> it... It's truly astonishing. I, I don't remember who posted this, but I was, you know, trying to navigate in a fight with Delta Airlines or something. And I and I opened up Twitter and I saw literally that the score was 9-9. And I was like, that's an interesting score. How weird. Um, but, like, of course it makes sense that these two not very good teams have been trading field goals back and forth this whole game. And then I opened up Twitter and... I wanted one of the first things I saw was a tweet from somebody who was just like, man, people are tuning in now to see nine, nine and thinking what a regular football game. I bet that's three field goals each and they couldn't be more wrong. It was <laughs> magnificent that a field only one, goal only and one touchdown field goal. was missed extra point And then safety and touched like, just, just yeah. magical, really. Yeah, in a yeah, in a nine nine game, there's only one made field goal. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, no, I, I tweeted this on Saturday. Nebraska just refused to be normal on special teams. They had probably the worst special team play I've ever seen. Um, and you could say that maybe Alabama returning the like covering the kick six is up there, but that was a play that was set up and executed by Auburn. This was just, you know, a man forgetting what sport he was playing. And <laughs> the worst special teams play I've ever seen, um, a missed field goal at one point, and two missed extra points. If Nebraska just achieves stasis on special teams, not even winning the battle, if they just, like, maintain, they probably won that game, right? You would think Maybe. so. Although it is, it is kind of amazing that uh... – as for all of the terrible things that happened, because Nebraska was the favorite going to this game, I think by seven or eight points. 
Um, that it, it was the only close game of the week, and it's the only one that I think we're all talking about as a massive failure and a total, you know, ruling on the Scott Frost era. That the Scott Frost era is over. We have decided it. You know, it is it is a, a verdict, and it's it's we're, we're all confirmed on that. And there was, again, he was the only person in week zero who lost, who lost by less than 27 points. Because again, the rest of the week zero slate was Fresno State 45, UConn 0. Kevin, did you watch Fresno State, UConn? No, I saw one screen cap on Twitter um, when it was like 28-0, and it's like, I, I don't need to watch this. I consider myself a college football sicko through and through, but I mean, even I have a line. Like I have a I, I have a standard in my own personal life. I have a feeling that watching UConn this year is going to feel unpleasant. Yeah, like it won't like even it, be like even oh, as, they're so bad. No, it's going to be oh god, they're going to get hurt. Yeah, as as sick as we are, and as much as we love watching Scott Frost lose to Burt, who again was asked after the game if he was emotional because his eyes were watering. And he said, no, I'm just sweaty, which is a beautiful moment that we should all be thankful that we have Burt back in our lives. Listen, that, uh, man, is an, that man is an Iowa grad, uh, maybe the second or third most successful coach in Wisconsin history, and now he's at Illinois. Uh, there, there is no more Big Ten West man that's alive right now. And, and we should applaud him for that because a Big Ten West man is a, is a certain kind of guy, and it's, it's a dying breed. And I, I appreciate him, you know, bringing that back to us. Yeah, exactly. And in, in terms of the other games, I don't mind learning that someone watched Hawaii-UCLA. It was the only other game that could even potentially be good, you know, or at least slightly entertaining. I think Hawaii just has a lot of, you know, goodwill built up from the, over the years. Um, but I didn't realize this until late last week. Todd Graham is their head coach, so they really didn't have a chance. Yes, he is. Todd, um, Todd Graham is the head coach of the University of Hawaii Rainbow Warriors. So, you know, just – but, but, you know, it's like oh, maybe that can be interesting. I don't, I'm not sure about Chip Kelly's UCLA yet. Um, Hawaii is at least kind of fun. I thought that game was going to be played, um, you know, on the islands for some reason. And then uh, – Found out it's at UCLA, and it's like, ah, it was 44 to 10, but it was on TV. Uh, UCLA's got fun players. Dorian Thompson Robinson should, you know, be one of the more exciting players in the Pac 12 this year. But other than that, there's really not much home to write about week zero, except that, you know, Scott Frost is the worst coach in Nebraska history. <laughs> it's, I believe he is currently second by winning percentage. Uh, of worst coaches in Nebraska history, which is a tough, tough moment for him. But the thing I couldn't get over was at the beginning that they said this was the start of Scott Frost's fourth season in Nebraska. Like, if that doesn't break your sense of time, I don't know what does. Yep. Well, one of them was a full-on pandemic year, and then another one was just kind of a weird year one. But, man, Nebraska fans love to talk about how much they hated Bill Callahan. Bill Callahan won, won 25 games in four years. Um, Scott Frost has won eight. <laughs> that's oh, excuse so me, sorry, twelve. He's won tw- he's won twelve games in four years now. So that's less, M- much less. Yes, 
Well, if Scott, if that's Scott less Frost, than stellar. If Scott Frost runs the table this year and goes to the national title and ends up, you know, they go 14 and one and win a title, uh, Nebraska will still have, will only have three more. Oh, excuse me. Let me do my math again. Only one more win um, than Bill Callahan did in, in his four years in Lincoln. <laughs> that is, uh, oh my. Actually, KP, I'm, I'm sure you saw this. Um, but do you, uh, if you didn't see this, I'm, I'm curious to know. And, and, uh, if anyone else knows, a lot of people have been commenting after this game about how, you know, this is kind of a unquestioned failure of the Scott Frost era. You know, it should have been a good hire, but it hasn't worked out. And a lot of people have been comparing it to another big 10 West coach who was really on the outs at his school, who was the quarterback and returned as this, you know, favorite son. Um, and that would be the Michigan man in khakis himself, Jim Harbaugh. Mm-hmm. Um, now, obviously, Harbaugh has been at uh, Michigan longer than Scott Frost, but about 38 games longer. KP, do you know what Scott Frost's record would have to be over the next 38 games to match Jim Harbaugh's record in Michigan? Yes, I do. I saw this earlier. It's 37-1, and one, correct? It is 37-1. and one, Someone is com- horrifying. I saw that, the best comparison here. Oh, sorry, go on. I'm cutting you off. I was just going to say, like, we've we've all had our fun for years making fun of Harbaugh for, you know, not finishing above third in his division and uh, being a huge weirdo who refuses to eat chicken and everything else about him. But he is miles better than the Scott Frost era has been in Nebraska. And it's, it, it's just not even it, – I, I struggle with it because I don't think it's fun anymore to make fun of Nebraska. It was really fun at first. Okay, well, speak for yourself. Um, the best comparison I saw on this is the Harbaugh era is when someone makes chicken, and it's just like the driest thing imaginable. Like, didn't, like maybe put a pinch of salt on the entire bird, overcooked it, um, no sides, and it's just like, oh, God, like, I guess I can eat this, but damn, I'm not going to enjoy this. And Scott Frost era is like medium rare chicken. It's like you're going to end up in the hospital um, if you <laughs> if you consume this. Yeah, that sounds about right. Rip, Rippy, what are your thoughts on the Scott Frost era? Yeah, what's up? Sorry for the delay. I am moving houses, and this has not been the greatest internet situation. So uh, we are, we're, but we're made it. Uh, I don't know the. To me, it's just like as, as simple as there are two – like so you ever hear the theory that like there are programs that drive themselves? I mean Ed Orgeron can hardly speak English and won a national title you know, less than 24 mm-hmm. months ago. Like there are programs that drive themselves if you don't quote-unquote fuck it up. And I think with the change in college football and the way money is nowadays, you know, you talk about it being a more even playing field or the gap shrinking. I think the gap has shrunk between the middle and the lower class to where Ole Miss and State were kind of considered the runs of the SEC, but there's not much difference between an Ole Miss and a State and an Auburn now if Ole Miss and State are run the right way, to where it's like the gap hasn't like shrunk between the top and the middle in that degree. And Nebraska and Tennessee like are the two that come to mind. That that program is just – like that's just never happening again. Like I don't care how many sellouts you have. I don't care how many people care about the program. Like what discernible advantages do Nebraska and Tennessee have that say – Fuck, I don't know. Michigan, excuse me, Minnesota, and hell, I'll throw state or something like that. Other than maybe a little bit more money, like 
there's no huge discernible advantage. So to me, unless you get a good dynamic coach in there that is going to do something different and do something special, a la, well, I mean, Hugh Freeze isn't the greatest example, but he did do stuff that had not been done in quite a while. You're just going to get these results. I mean, but then I guess the flip side of that, if you want to rebuttal it, is that Scott Frost has had one winning season as a head coach, like, period. So, like, it's probably a little bit of both, but the Nebraska thing cracks me up. Like, that's never happening again unless you hire a special coach, and teams go half a century without having that. The, I, 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 I think Nebraska has a little bit of it, – it's weird because I think the break – not the breakup because the Big 8 stayed together, but the formation of the Big 12 really made Nebraska kind of switch its entire identity. I mean, just look at the conference titles they – stopped winning once they joined a conference with uh, Texas in it. But it's like they have the same impulse of quick trigger in terms of hiring and firing coaches as Texas does. But Texas has more money than Nebraska football can ever fathom, so they can afford to do that. Texas also sits in the middle of maybe the most fertile recruiting grounds in the country. Nebraska does not. So once Nebraska joined a league with Texas, they're like, oh, we're, we're Texas equal. We should act like Texas. And it's like Texas can act like Texas just because they can. Nebraska can't, and it's been biting them in the ass for 25 years now. I, I also think it's, you know, almost worse now for the, the old powers, as it were, that like, like the Tennessees and the Nebraskas, that they have this expectation of being a power. And, you know, remember uh, Bo Pelini, I think, won nine games a couple times in Nebraska, and they were like, this isn't good enough. He has to be fired because we should be a national power and we should be winning national championships. And if you go to a smaller school that does not have those expectations, you get a coach who can take their time, put in their program. Obviously, if it's not a good coach, you're not going to win a lot of games. But, like, the hottest coach quote-unquote, on the market because he's not at a marquee school. But the guy who's considered one of the top coaches in the country right now is Matt Campbell, who, you know, coached at Toledo, did a good job there, so he got a Power 5 job. But he got a Power 5 job at a school that has never won double-digit games before. So he has been there for five years. He is going into his sixth year there, and it was fine in the beginning. You know, he went 3-9 and nine his first season, had a couple 8-5 and five seasons, and that was considered progress. That was considered good. And now they are entering the year as a top 10 team, and they are expected they're not going to be really a national title contender because there's really only like four of those in the country. But they're expected to have the best season they've ever had because they hired a good young coach and then just sort of like let him work and didn't put a ton of expectations on him because it's not a school with expectations. I think it's more likely that, I mean, Minnesota was really good in like the 40s and 50s, so maybe that's not a good example. But it is more likely that a school with a few resources that wasn't good before would have the opportunity to let a coach cook for a long time and get really good. You mentioned well, – sorry, go on. Rip. Oh, I was just going to underscore Ross point, Ross's point real quick. You mentioned Bo Pelini winning nine or ten games a couple of times. I was actually looking something up the other day to write like sort of along this subject in the newsletter, but I never actually did it. You mentioned that. Do you know – what Bo Pelini's year-by-year record was, uh, like, start to finish. I'll just read it off because I happen to have this pulled up from the other day. So his first year was 2008. 9-4, and 10-4, and 10-4, and 9-4, and 9-4, and 9-3, and and fired. 
That was every single year he was at Nebraska. Like, I don't know. History doesn't remember it as fondly because he's kind of an abrasive personality. He was a little bit of a clown when he left and sucked at LSU. But, I mean, he was in he was FCS power after that at Youngstown State. And not that that should legitimize the argument, but he quite literally won nine to ten games every year that they had <laughs> not come to terms yet with who they were. Can you imagine what Nebraska fan wouldn't commit murder in the streets for <laughs> nine and four right now? <laughs> like, I think if you if you promise someone seven straight years of at least nine wins and a mid tier bowl game that you're going to go five hundred in, you're going to win one, lose one, win one, lose one. There are so many schools, especially Nebraska, that would kill for that. There's like eight or nine schools in the country that wouldn't take that right now. And it's amazing that – I mean, when was, when was Nebraska last, like, truly good? Like, truly a national title power? Frank Solich era. Um, and, and it's wild because they fired him after he went 10-3. and three. <laughs> Is it Frank Solich is a Nebraska alum. He played for, like, Bob Devaney, coach under Tom Osborne forever. And here is Frank Solich's record, 9-4, and 12-1, 10-2, 11-2, 7-7, 10-3. That includes um, three uh, Big 12 titles, I think, either two or three Big 12 titles, um, and a national championship game appearance. I mean, that's, again, a Nebraska fan would blow up an insane asylum to, get, <laughs> to have that six-year run. But Tom Osborne had just retired, and they were really, really delusional as to who they were. It's, it's hilarious. It's just it's it. <laughs> it was, but it, it, at what point does it become sad? You know, never, never not. And Rip, going off your point to Tennessee, I think Tennessee is slightly more advantageous because at least they can recruit East Tennessee and like the Carolinas and kind of Georgia a little bit. I mean, what's what's Nebraska got going for it? Recruited well because they were a national brand in a day and age where no one was on television and no one really gave a shit where Nebraska was. They're not identical. You're exactly right. Tennessee has way more advantages than Nebraska, but just by their peers in the conference that they play in, it feels like there's a complex amongst both fan bases in different ways to where it's like, well, we should be a peg above to where most people see it. And it's like, actually, no, you shouldn't. Like, th- this is never happening again. Sorry, but enjoy the 90s. Yeah, I mean, if you fire your coach for going for finishing fourth or fifth in his division a bunch of times because you expect them to be way better, you may not ever get, like, you know, Rip, someone that you're very familiar with who went to a school without a ton of expectations and with a long but not really storied history, uh, who is also famously a huge asshole, so it took him a while to get another job, was Dan Mullen, like, was at Mississippi State for a long time and is going to go down as one of the best coaches in that school's history. And he was just fine because he had a bunch of 500 or below 500 records in conference for several years in a row. And that's just because the school didn't expect better. Yeah, no, you're absolutely dead on. And Dan Mullen, what he did at State had never really, like over that sustained amount of time, had never been done before. Yes, they had had nine, ten win seasons. But the sustained success and the bowl streak and all that had never happened before. And when Dan Mullen left, you know, I just actually got done doing a, 
I, we finished up like our opponent preview series on the podcast. And I talked to my old radio pal, Brian Haydad, about state. Like probably one of the greatest what ifs in Mississippi State history is if Dan Mullen doesn't leave after 2017 and they have the, that 2018 state defense is one of probably the top five defenses of the last two decades in college football. I mean, if you mm-hmm. they don't get remembered that way, but if you go look at the numbers, those dudes were fucking ridiculous. And he'd had senior Nick Fitzgerald at quarterback, Kylan Hill. Like, you know, Joe Moore had won eight games and could not have possibly finished worse. Joe Moorhead could have shot someone on the field and still won eight games. Like, that was a team that Dan Mullen had built for five years. And that's kind of what you – that's kind of the ceiling at a place like Ole Miss and State, barring something, you know, Dabo-like dramatic, is you try to build consistent success, and every three to four years you build for that team that can win ten games and compete in the West. And that's what State had that year had he not left. But you're exactly right. And when he left, the headlines were – upgrade because they hired Joe Moorhead who checked every single box. He was a great offensive coordinator at Penn State. Like it was a great hire on paper. It just didn't work out. No one at the time was writing this is dumb. This isn't going to work. Not a soul. And you can't really blame them for thinking it was just going to go up from there, but that's not really the reality because that's not what your program is. Yeah, so sometimes when you do the same thing every year, it's just who you are and it's not oh god, if we just did this other thing you know, these three other things, if we change these factors, then maybe we can, you know, make something better of ourselves. Like, no, this is who you are. And sometimes that's fine. And like Ross said, the the, the Iowa states of the world that realize, oh, this is just like who we are probably. Like, this is us at our best. It's never going to – it's never been better than this, so why would we expect it to be better than this? And to add on to that, KP, you know, we keep talking about, like, this program, you are what you are. In this day and age of college football, and this kind of goes back to the when you talk about the the gap shrinking in terms of the playing field evening and it being really amongst the bottom class and the middle class, isn't that who literally everyone is? Sands like six programs, four already there. You could say Texas could get there. I guess you could say UC USC could get back there. I mean, who's to say Florida State in Tallahassee that is not exactly beachfront? Is that program ever again? It was Bobby Bowden, Jimbo for a brief second, and that's it. Like, I mean, as we look around the college football landscape, isn't that literally who everyone is? Sands like, I'll be generous and say 15 programs, 12 programs. Yeah. And the thing about Florida State, which is a slight tangent, Florida State, Miami, and Florida have never all three been good at the same time. Um, uh, that's another, <laughs> but that's another discussion. Um, yeah, it's Bobby Bowden, who was just a mastermind program builder, rest in peace, King. And then Jimbo, who just, you know, was named head coach in waiting and had like three years under Bowden to learn everything he could and actually stayed after being named head coach in waiting for a full three years, which is kind of insane. Um, but then, yeah, outside of Jimbo's like first, I could call it five years, you know, after that, Florida State became average and then, you know, Willie Taggart just really kind of never had it going. And um, maybe Mike Norvell does, but, I mean, this is a program that's only had, what, four coaches now, like really in their actual history. And I think Bowden took over in 1976, but they were – this was an all-women's college until World War II. So the first 30 years just kind of don't count. Then they hire Bowden, and then Jimbo Taggart, now Norvell. Maybe you're just not that program all the time for the state. You had a good run, and that's it. And that's okay. 
I would put Florida State as 10 years behind both those programs. Like, are we positive that that's ever happening again? I think Mike Norvell's pretty good, but are they winning national titles ever again? I mean, they're, whatever they're, you think about Bobby Bowden towards the end, he was a special transcendent coach in college football for two decades and did things that hadn't been done there before. Like, why why, why should anyone, if you look at it rationally, believe that that's going to happen again? It, it, it shouldn't unless they hire the next Bowden. But how are you going to hire the? How are you going to hire the next Bowden on Florida State's athletic budget? And, and and that's a different story too. But yeah, I mean they lost Jimbo because they kind of just didn't want to pay him what he wanted to get paid, and that's why. Look, I'm not saying A&M's going to run off you know six straight top ten finishes, but I mean that's why A&M's on the way up because they can invest and. You know, that's why Nebraska's on the way down because they can't. And when I say invest, I do mean, you know, the price of crude oil affecting recruiting fortunes, but. <laughs> you mean you mean the price of alternative energy sources, which Texas A&M will certainly be on the forefront of so as to make sure they do not lose that recruiting advantage when crude oil is no longer uh, the primary driver. Oh, absolutely, Ross. Absolutely. So, looking ahead to week one, fellas, um, what, what's one game you are most excited about that does not include one of our alma maters? All right. So, I actually have a good answer for this because um, I know we talked about this as we were first looking at the week one schedule about some real clunkers and some real weird choices of games. But there is a game that stuck out to me, and I have l- since learned that I do personally know someone who will be going to this game with several friends, and that is the Stanford K-State opener in Arlington, Texas. And I am so excited for this game. Ross, I really want to know how you know multiple people going to that game. (laughs) That would be the fact that I am blessed enough in my life to know an actual K-State booster. Um, Mm. I believe he's a booster. I'm not entirely certain. But, uh, yeah, it's... um, some people just just really love the Little Apple, and uh, when you go to their home at Easter, every single egg in their house is painted with the K-State logo, and uh, they have K-State ornaments all over their Christmas tree, and um, they fly out to Arlington to watch Kansas State play Stanford at Jerry World, and uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled for them, and I, I wish them all the happiness in the world, so I want that to be a good game that Kansas State wins. I've got a couple. Okay, so the first one is L- uh, UCLA and LSU. And I, you, you spent pretty much all offseason being like, oh, okay, like UCLA, that's a name. But like LSU should handle that. Well, the guys that aren't in the business of losing money, uh, the people in Las Vegas and the desert, like that line is three. And if LSU is <laughs> going to be like not a disaster, like they should probably win that game by three or more. But like, if they go out and lose to that UCLA team, whatever version of that is under Chip Kelly in year three or four, whatever the hell it is at this rate, like I wouldn't like their chances of going through even a halfway water down SEC West. Like that, that could have, that could be a scary game. And then the other one is Texas and ULL. Like again, that's Texas minus eight, but ULL returns pretty much everyone from a top twenty-five team that beat a really fucking good Iowa State team last year. Like, are we sure that's not going to be a disaster? Yeah, those are all really good games for, <laughs> for very different reasons. 
Rip, I didn't know that line moved down to three. I saw it at like five and a half kind of recently, but it got moved all the way down to three. So in complete fairness, the ESPN app, which doesn't always have the most accurate lines, now has it three. So I'm guessing if you're out there and you wagered on it at five, at probably a ton of reputable sports books, that's moved in the four, four and a half range. But whatever mm. ESPN's partner is, they have that all the way down to three now. I, I will say that I have I have put money on a football game for the first time in my in my whole entire life on UCLA covering those three points. Nice. Ooh, that risk taker, Ross. That's huge. I. That, that's a game I think LSU should have won by twenty four points, and I, there's there's no way they do that, but they <laughs> but they should. Yeah, I I mean I know that like Hawaii's not good, but UCLA put a real whooping on them, and that was that that was their week one jitters. Like if you play week zero, you get all that that weird shit out of your system usually, and that way by the next game you know what you're doing, and and LSU's going to the Rose Bowl, and I don't know, it's not at a sports book, it's with a friend, but I'm. This is the first time I've ever put money on a game, and I'm excited about it. Nice, nice. Yeah, that ULL-Texas game is very intriguing. I probably would have tried to find a way to go to that game, but Bama plays at 2.30, and that Texas game is at 3.30, so it doesn't really work out too well for me. Um, number one for me is West Virginia-Maryland. I think Maryland's really weird because Mike Loxley's recruited super well in his time there, but it just – it's just always weird. Like Maryland can never just be normal. And this is apparently like an old rivalry game that I remember from the recesses of my brain. These guys used to play every year until realignment kind of screwed up conference and non-conference schedules. So I'm really excited for that game to take place. And also Indiana, Iowa. Um, I, I can't tell if Indiana is going to be good this year or not, but I mean, going into Kinnick Stadium in week one is a really good way to find out how good you are. So that one should be pretty fun uh, to watch as well. I I know they're both ranked in the teens, but do either of you know if either Penn State or Wisconsin is going to be good this year? I feel like, put, like slotting Wisconsin as like a preseason, like number 14 is just a safe choice that we've been doing for years, and they're going to finish the season probably ranked in the teens. But do either of you know anything about Penn State, Wisconsin? I truly have no idea what to expect in that game. So what I've read, and I, I kind of keep up with Penn State football. I'm sort of a closet fan because I was shown such a good time at the whiteout two years ago. But it it seems like last year was Penn State's um, Notre Dame went 4-8 and eight year. Just everything that could have gone wrong did. I mean, Penn State had maybe the deepest running back room in the Big Ten. And their best running back, you know, has to medically retire. And their second best back has, you know, a season-ending injury on their first drive of the year. So it's just it, – from that – and then, you know, they missed a field goal, the loudest missed field goal in history. And then um, the Indiana quarterback, Michael Penix, may be getting in the end zone. That'll happen week one. Um, <laughs> and it just kind of spiraled from there. They did win their last four games against not terrible competition, um, and they've recruited very well. It's a, it's a talented roster. I'm not saying they're going to win the Big Ten, but Penn State should be decent. And Wisconsin is—I mean, I mean, they're Wisconsin. They're going to run the ball. They're going to run, they're going to play excellent defense. They're going to play action you to death, and they're going to bow constrict you in a twenty-four to ten win. That's what they do. I, it's both of them should be good, but it is the first big noon kickoff of the season 
So it should <laughs> should be something. I've got uh, one more that's probably a little bit off the radar. Do y'all know who the USC Trojans play? I do not. They play San Jose State, who was pretty damn good Ooh. last year. Ooh. San Jose State, who won the Mountain West last year, right? Yes, and you talk about limited resources. I'm you could. It's almost inarguable that that is a program with the least amount of resources, like in the sport period. But so Mike McIntyre is the defensive coordinator at Ole Miss in 2019. Kind of made his hay by winning there because if you win there, it's like holy mm-hmm. shit, what's this guy doing? <laughs> and like the, the the shit they have to deal with that no other coaching staff has to deal with is really just kind of jaw dropping. And they were good last year. And for a fan base that doesn't really like Clay Helton, of course, I don't think USC will necessarily lose, but that could get weird. Yeah, it, it should get weird uh, because, again, like USC went like 5-0, and 6-0, oh, something like that last year and won the Pac-12 South before losing to Oregon in a pretty close Pac-12 championship. Um, but I've got no reason to believe Clay Helton's going to put together a good season this year, like a full season, he hasn't done it yet. Um, I don't think anyone in that fan base or in that building is confident in him. I think George Klyavkov, the new packed up commissioner, kind of wants USC to lose this game so he can get Clay Heldon out of there. Um, But, yeah, this is quite literally maybe the richest school in the state outside of Stanford. And probably the poorest school in the state in the region that cares the least about football in the entire nation. Um, so it, what what's that line, Rippy? <laughs> again, this is ESPN, so not totally reputable, but it's fourteen. That's not like show up to the park, get your guys some reps, and sit there for a half. Like that that's two touchdowns. And that would probably <laughs> be if it were in whatever shithole San Jose State play, State San Jose State plays in what? 10 or 11 like that's that's reasonable well i mean also speaking of getting your guys up there and getting some reps san jose state by the ucla principal also got out their week one reps they played last week against southern utah and put a whooping on them they're warmed up i'll yeah, probably be turning um... into this it'll probably be hard to get on at a bar but like could i beg them for more nick starkle uh, you will not be able to beg them for more Nick Starkle as that game is being played on the Pac-12 network, which does not actually exist, and you will be unable to watch That's it. That's very true. Anyone who says they know where that network exists is a lie. No. I've, like, who, I've, heard, I've heard whispers that it's available on YouTube TV, but I do not have YouTube TV, so I cannot, I cannot promise that. I will, be, no. I will be deprived of my beloved Nick Starkle. Yeah, I just splurged on ESPN Plus so I can read a Bill C. article. Um, and yeah, that that that's the only streaming I'm paying for on top of what I'm already paying for in college football this year. I'm gonna have to take some notes. I'm gonna write that down about the YouTube TV because I I've moved partially into a new apartment today where I have a roommate now, and he elected against cable and went with YouTube TV. So if that ends up being true, like I'm gonna throw that shit on the resume. Can get to Pac-12 Network in two clicks because I will probably be the only human on earth that can. <laughs> You should be the new commissioner, honestly. I have more qualifications than the last asshole. (laughs) Folks, thanks again for listening to Banjo College Football, the world's most ethical college football podcast. 
I'm your host, Kevin Paul, and that was Ross Mulcairn and Brian Scott Rippey. Folks, thanks for listening, um, and we hope to hear from you soon.